This is Great Day Nation presented by BetMGM. I'm your host, as always, Morton Anderson. And, of course, I'm always joined by my co-host, Tommy Freeze-Pops. Tommy, what do we have this week? Morton, thanks as always for having me. Week 11 of the NFL regular season is upon us. And we're joined by a man who you were teammates with. He was 20 years younger than you when you walked into the locker room. That's a crazy, crazy gap there. The greatest rushing quarterback of all time. The greatest Madden quarterback of all time. Michael Vick joins the show. Then we'll get into Morton's Fast Five, where we'll give you our picks for the five biggest matchups of the NFL weekend. And finally, we'll close things out with Morton's game winner. But before we get into all of that, let's go to the opening kick. Morton Anderson kicks off, and it's a beauty through the end zone. And Morton Anderson has been doing that with regularity this season and throughout his illustrious career. Shaboy! The tie. The dreaded tie. It's like a kiss on the cheek at the end of your prom night. Great anticipation, but not what you hoped for. In 382 games, I have never been a part of a tie. It must be such a buzzkill for everyone. You prepare for a week, you strategize and spend countless hours in meetings and practice only to end up where you started. Tied, anticlimactic, spinning the wheel, walking in circles who really wins here no one have you ever watched the stadium empty after a tied game it's not pretty looks of despair and disgust are everywhere if only we had made a play here and there and blah 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 the only remedy is to move on quickly and forget that it ever happened and pray that you never have to be a part of it again Because in a tie, no one wins. Ever. 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 (laughs) We had the Lions and Steelers tie this past weekend. You know Dan Campbell. You played with him. How do you think your former teammate Dan Campbell took a tie in the Lions locker room? After, by the way, they haven't won a game this year. So their first non-loss is a tie. I think he took he took it into the locker room, some some humor and some levity, and goes, "Hey boys, we did not lose today. <laughs> we we did not lose, but we are exactly where we started four hours ago, three hours ago, a week ago. <laughs> no better, no worse. Tied. It's just it's like vanilla. It's like." Uh, you know that you had a, I'm sure you've had a friend or somebody you knew in high school, college, and you were asked to describe them, and you go, mm, mm, he, she, yeah, I don't know. Can't describe <laughs> them. It's kind of like got gray. It's the color gray. How do you describe gray? Well, the crazy thing to me is, and you mentioned it there uh, in your opening kick, you played in more games in NFL history than anyone. Yes. And you never experienced a tie. That's how weird and quirky they are. I mean, I kind of like it. People kind of hate on ties. I think they're sort of weird and... What do you like about them? I think, I think it's funny that it's kind of like a window into the past, right? Like, 
Guys used to tie all the time back in the day. You look at these records from the 1920s and 30s. It's like it's like a small little piece of the past that the NFL still holds on to. The fact that there's still ties. We had a 10-10 tie at Michigan State that cost us like five years of eligibility because Woody Hayes got PO'd at us. <laughs> and we ended up on probation because of a tie. Because somebody figured, well, if they tied Ohio State, they must be cheating. So they started digging into our like recruiting, and it was like some dude got a free sandwich or something. It was ridiculous. I so Spartan Nation hates ties. Oh gosh, it's our kryptonite, you know, the tie. <laughs> it's Sparty's kryptonite. We don't like ties, no, not at all. Now, before we get into your conversation with Mike Vick, and before I let you guys know about this awesome promotion BetMGM has going on right now, how about that 48-yard game winner attempt from the kicker in Detroit there? Was that, that the was worst 48-yard field goal attempt you've ever seen? I cringed when I saw it. He hit the ground way before the ball. He looked, his body language going into that kick, I was like, there's no chance he makes this kick. Oh my God. His body language was so bad. You saw Campbell's face, poor guy. I mean, standing <laughs> on the sideline, he just kind of, he didn't even like, he didn't react. He just like, oh, speed dial somebody else, please, quickly. <laughs> that guy's gone. Yeah, I, I, maybe they shouldn't have let Matt Prater leave Detroit. The guy's a pretty good mis- kicker. That was a pretty big mistake for sure. Yeah. yeah. This thing of regret right now. Ooh. Mm. Before we get into your conversation with Michael Vick, I wanted to tell you guys about our friends from BetMGM. BetMGM is the king of sports books, and they have a really cool promotion going on right now for new players. Bet $10 to win $200 if your team scores a touchdown. Bet on any NFL money line, and if your team scores a touchdown, you'll receive an additional $200 in free bets. Must be 21 or older to play. Legal in Arizona, New Jersey, Indiana, Colorado, Tennessee, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Washington, D.C. Full terms and conditions apply. BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks, and it's the official odds maker of Great Dane Nation. All right, let's get to that conversation with Michael Vick. Let's kick it. Michael Dwayne Vick is regarded as having transformed the quarterback position with his rushing abilities. He was the first NFL quarterback to rush for 1,000 yards in a season and holds the quarterback rushing yards record at 6,109 yards. His life journey is well documented and his rise to the top subsequent fall is unavoidable. But it will be fascinating to share some time with my former teammate and let you hear from Mike how he's been able to put his life back together and pay it forward despite many saying it couldn't be done. Mike, welcome to Great Dane Nation. I appreciate your time. And before we get into some heavy lifting, not too heavy, actually, but before we do that, let me take you back to Newport News. What's that, buddy? I said, you taking your glasses off and what? Yeah, because now I did my I, I did my reading. Okay. Uh, I can see you. I can see you. I can hear you. Let's I go. can feel you. And uh, I guess up front, I want to say I'm proud of you, number one. Okay. The road back, difficult, no question. Yeah. 
the recovery, I'm sure, introspective on many levels, and uh, the answers that you had to provide to a, a myriad and a bunch of people. Yeah. Difficult. Yeah. You know, sort of devastating uh, in a sense. You know, you work your whole life to get to a certain point, and then, you know, you just see this demise out of nowhere, you know, abruptly. Uh, yeah. You feel a demise and experience a demise, and it's like, wow, where, where's all this coming from? I, you know, I worked my whole life to make it to this point, and now I'm in a regression state. How does that happen? You know, so I was stuck, stuck in that place for a long time and trying to figure out, okay, what's the road that has to be traveled moving forward? You know, and I think that plan that I put in place in my life in 2008 while being away in, in Leavenworth really helped me develop into the person that I've become today. Yeah, I'm not interested in the gory details of what happened. That's yeah. been well documented. You have paid the price, the penance. What I'm interested in, however, is, and I spoke with Tony Dungy, whom I know that you have a great relationship with. He was one of your mentors as you came out of Leavensworth, and you spent 20-some months there, I believe, after being convicted. I guess I'll take you back to prison, and then we'll go from there. The most difficult thing for you being locked up, what was it? Just uh, being away from family. And I'm a family-oriented person, and I spent a lot of time with my mom, my sisters, uh, my brother, you know, my family that I created, my wife, my kids. I'm a family-oriented guy. You know, that was the toughest part. And, and then knowing that for a long time you've taken that word freedom for granted, like you don't know what it's like to have freedom until it's taken away. And then the small things become important, like, oh, I can get up and go to McDonald's whenever I want, or I can go to target whenever I, it's none of that. It, you can find to a certain area for 24 hours. And that was probably the most difficult part. And why I say that experience changed my life because what I realized is that, and, and for any man that's incarcerated who will see the light of day again, it's opportunity everywhere. It's opportunity. If you wake up and you can breathe fresh air and you got freedom, you got opportunity. And that's what I discovered, you know, just naturally uh, as I went through that progression in my life. And I was so thankful when I walked out the door and I looked back and I was like, man, I think God saved me from so many things that could have been a detriment to my life, even worse than being in prison. So I'm thankful for the people that came into my life and the opportunity that I had. And I don't like when, when I say this, but I have to. And I feel like sometimes people can take it the wrong way. But I have to say it for me, and because it's therapeutic for me, I experienced a life-changing experience going through that. But I needed that for my life. Everybody's life is different. God has a plan for everybody's life. So I needed that in my life to make me the person I am today. I'll say that again. Was there a gradual shift in prison? Was it an all of a sudden aha moment? I mean, I, I read somewhere where you had 10 minutes. I don't yeah. know if it was a week or a day to, to speak to somebody on the yeah. phone. So, so you get 10 minutes a day in federal prison to use the phone. Well, actually, you got 300 minutes a month. You can use those 300 minutes at your discretion, however you want to use it. But if you break it down, 30 days is only 10 minutes. Now, what if you got to make four phone calls? I got to call my mom, got to call my wife. I want to spend more than two minutes talking to my wife or five minutes. And how, I do you prior how do you prioritize, right? Yeah, some days I just wouldn't even call home. I might call my wife for 
four minutes and we'll plan it out. Me and her used to try to rationale. All right, this is what two minutes tomorrow, two minutes yeah. on the next day. So this is the talk. agenda. This is yeah, the agenda. Yeah. Right. So we can talk for 15 minutes on Saturday. So we mm. can have a little, you know, yeah. talk and you know, have a little phone conversation. You know, you catch up. So you banked the hours, you banked the minutes. Oh, banked them. Oh, I, I was uh I was, you know, I was superb at it. You know, I mastered mm -hmm. we both mastered it together collectively. You and I were teammates in 2006, and I came in after, you know, it had to be weird for you to see a guy who was 46 years old. You were in your 20s. You know, you were, you were a young guy. You were a young cat in the league, and I was at the tail end of me. What was, no. what, what were you thinking when I walked into that locker room, Man, Mike? Let me tell you this. I'm looking at you like the great Morton Anderson is in the building. The great more like more. I, I grew up. All right, so let me get this right. You, you played in Minnesota, correct? Yeah, I played in the Saints. Right, started with the Saints. Eighty-two. Yeah. Okay, then you spent some time in Minnesota. One year. Then you was with Atlanta, Kansas City, Atlanta, New York. But yeah. but what I remember is just you just making kicks out the ass, man. I'm talking about like you was clutch. It, it was a couple kickers back in the day that I can. Record, like I didn't pay too much attention. I just know the ones that were good and consistent. Mike Kofa was pretty good. He played for my uh, my 49ers growing up and probably a couple other guys. But you was one of the guys who I was like, oh, you was a household name. So when you walked in the building, it was like, man, I think we'll make more field goals this year. We got a weapon. But I, I, I remember this. We can only use you within like 40 49 yards. Yeah. <laughs> I know. There's a lot of wear and tear on that right leg, baby. But left leg or right leg? Le lefty. I'm a lefty. Yeah, lefty. Lefty. I knew it was something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was very consistent. It was yeah. very consistent. But it, it was an honor to have you in the locker room, man. And just to say, you know, I grew up watching this guy. <clears throat> I mean, it, it kind of epitomized, like, where I was at. Two things I remember about you, Mike, was you would call me Mr. Anderson. And I kept telling you, nah, man, yeah. Morton. Yeah, you kept saying Mr. Anderson. I was, I made me uncomfortable. But anyway, <laughs> the second thing is, I remember you with a hoodie on in your in your locker. Your locker was next to mine, right? You did a lot of sleeping in there, bro. Yeah, man. Um, and to my point here, I'm not trying to embarrass you. No, no, no. Go ahead. But I'm thinking, here's a guy that that is so phenomenally talented, right? But he ain't putting the work in. Yeah, he ain't yeah. putting the work in, and so. Let me make a comparison, and then you can tell the story, because when I saw you come out of Levensworth and go to Philadelphia, I saw a different Michael Vick. Yeah. I saw a guy that was highly motivated who was going to go the, a different route and earn the right to play the game at its highest level with talent and with hard work, as opposed to 2006, when quite honestly, I was thinking, man, this dude's, this dude's so talented, but he's kind of phoning it in. Yeah. And I think back to those days in Atlanta, I was like, man, if I could have did it the way I did it in Philly, because when I first got to Philadelphia, Andy Reid told me, you're going to put the work in. Your work day starts at 6.30, and you got to be the first guy in the building and the last one to leave. And I made it a point to put in extra work. If it wasn't anything to do, go watch and film. I, I was with Ray Lewis last night. Me, him, and Ed Reed was just sitting down talking. and so my guys. Put, yeah, just to put this in perspective more. They watched so much film. They watched film from the time they got home, 
which was around 6.30 until two, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And they, so I'm like, so how long did y'all go? They said until somebody said we can't go no more. And that's how much they paid attention to film. When I got yeah. to Philadelphia, I started to understand how much film work meant. When I was in Atlanta, it's like I got the skill set. I see what's yeah. going on on the defense. I know they're not going to change it. But what I used to hang my hat on in Atlanta is that at some point, these teams are going to try to play me different. So why would I watch all this film when I feel like they're going to try to, you know, they're going to try to green, or they're going to try to Mike Will me, or, you know, they're going to try to Sam Strong safety blitz me more, or try to zero blitz me more this game. But a team can only change up with so much. You can't confuse the players. So I didn't understand that concept. I should I learned from a lot from Chris Chandler, but man, I just say I learned from Andy Reid how to put in that hard work. Imagine how unbelievably unstoppable you would have been Not back in 06, man. Even if I was just trained harder, like the 2002 yeah. season, 2003, like all those years I came back from the offseason. I lost 10 to 12 pounds. I had to build up my muscle. I didn't know anything about off-season training, what these guys do now. Mm-hmm. If I would came in tip-top shape, I probably could have been even more durable. But, you know, in hindsight, I kind of hurt myself. But I'm not afraid to admit that. I admit that because I want the next generation to know the hard work is where your longevity lies. Yeah, and the next generation, you got mobile quarterbacks right now, Mike, and you were the first one. I mean, yeah, there, there was a little bit with Cunningham. There was a little bit with Fran Tarkenton. Donovan. Donovan McNabb. But yeah. let's face it, you kind of yeah. made it sexy, man, for a quarterback I, I, to I run. All out. I, I went all out in, with it more. And yeah, you did. There was articles that came out in 2005 where, you know, I stated on the front cover, I think Sports Illustrated, I am a quarterback. But what mm-hmm. consisted within that realm is I'm a quarterback. I line up behind the center. I take a snap from the center. I drop back, I scan the field, but sometimes when the protection break down, I run like hell. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's my game. I'm not going to change it. And it was a sense at the time, like, I know there's more guys out there like me. I see them. It was, you know, Michael Bishop and Donovan McNabb. And and these dudes, you know, we kind of doing it. Charlie Water did it. I'm like, it should work. I mean, it moves the chains. And and you, you, like you say, you can make it sexy when you're doing it. And you can make it look good. And most importantly, you just got to be productive. And, you know, I credit, you know, my coaches, man, even Jim Moore and them at the time, Jim never tried to change me. Jim was like, you be you, you be dynamic. Don't change your game. And and they helped me be confident. It was a lot of people helped in, in terms of the evolution of the, the quarterback. I learned the West Coast system. Greg Knapp, rest in peace, could have said like, Mike, we, gonna, we want you to be Steve. Don't take off and run. Don't, Jim could have been, we want you to be Steve. We spent, no, they didn't say that. You know, they, they said, be you. Play within the offense and be you. It wasn't confusing. I just did it. That was ingrained in you from Newport News and from maybe from your dad, Bullet. Yeah, yeah. You, he, you, you were Uki. How did you get that nickname? My Aunt Tina gave me that nickname. <laughs> My Aunt Tina gave me that nickname when I was uh, like two years old. She said, I just look really strong, like, I just walked around. She was like, she used to call me her little Oogie. I don't know what that meant, but I don't know. If you look at my pictures, I, you know, I, I always, everything was fitted. My suits was fitted. My clothes was fitted. Always in tip-top shape. Always dominated in the neighborhood, too. In all sports. And this was, it was not a great neighborhood. It was a housing project, and you yeah. 
you've said many times in interviews and so forth, and I, you've mentioned it to me when we were here together in Atlanta that fishing, you know, sports number one, but also just getting away and fish, even though if nothing was biting, yeah, it'd be yeah. in the middle of the day, just get out of the hood and and throw a line in the water. It was a couple of things that I think saved my life and my best friend, uh, Jamal Wilson, we, we still talk about to this day, like how we would just scrape up $2, $3. I remember one time on my birthday, I got $5 for my birthday. That was it. My Aunt Joyce came and she gave me $5. And I went and bought a, bought a pack of blood worms. Knowing I wanted to hit that corner store, get some candy. I got $5. It's going to probably last me. I bought blood worms for me and Jamal to go fishing. We spent my whole birthday out fishing. We caught nothing. Absolutely nothing. It felt like a waste of money, a waste of time. And I'm like, I can't make that up. My birthday isn't until, you know, next year. I'm not going to see $5 again for a long time, but I commit. And, and just that time, man, to be able to get away, laugh, reflect. You know, I was learning along the way, too, because I was spending time on my own. I might have been, you know, 11, 12 years old. And then even as me and Jamal got older, 14, 15, 16, you know, as we started working, and we still use that as an outlet. We would jump on our bikes, we would ride down to the pier, we would ride down to the park where the water was. Thank God we grew, I grew up on the waterfront. I know I know it sounds crazy, but we had waterfront property in in the in the neighborhood in the hood where I grew up, which was special. You know, it was the Chesapeake Bay. You know, so it, it was all linked in. We was right there in the heart of it. It, it was an outlet, man. Sometimes it's out there at night. <laughs> trespassing wasn't supposed to be out there, but we wasn't in that neighborhood, you know, stealing, dealing, and all the other things that, that goes on that, you know, it's just life in, in that type of environment. And we was just born in it. That's that's all I can say. Yeah, but where, Mike, where did that choice come from? Was that something that was guided by your mom and dad? Or was it maybe, you know, Tommy Riemann, your high school coach? Yeah. I where, met, where did that conscious choice of yeah, avoiding I, that trouble come from? I met Tommy when I went to high school. So I was 14 when I met him. Yeah. Uh, coach Raymond. A little older. Um, my mom and my dad were both young parents. My mom had me at 15. Wow. Uh, she, no, she was 16 and then my dad was 17. Wow. But my mom had already had my older sister at 15 hmm. um, and my dad was 16. So, you know, by the time I turned, you know, 11, 12, they was only like 28, 29 years old. Mm. You know, so, you know, my dad knew I had talent. My mom, she didn't pay attention to what I wanted to become. She knew I was good in football. She supported my games and came to each and every game. My dad made it whenever he could. Um, but when I was six years old, I, I was watching the Washington football team. I'm watching this game and I'm looking at the logos on the helmet and what they're doing. I'm like, I told my grandma, I said, that's what I want to do. And all my life from that day forward, from the age of six, kind of was sitting around football. How do I get to that ball? You know, are they playing in this neighborhood? Are they playing in that neighborhood? I traveled. I like committed myself and then just met people along the way, whether it was in Pop Warner, high school, that just took me under their wing, seen it out. Boys and Girls Club was very influential. All the people within the Boys and Girls Club uh, as mentors. And they, I played for the Boys and Girls Club, a uh, little league team. So I spent a lot of time in the club outside of the neighborhood yeah. where, you know, I was learning social skills and uh, learning how to interact with people and, you know, playing ball, discipline, all of that. 
then I met Tommy at 14. And when I met Tommy, that's when I started to learn about, you know, grades and college and women, girls and, you know, life itself. You know, so I, I grew. I, but my mom and my dad couldn't teach me. I, I, I don't say this with any type of shame or guilt. My mom and my dad, I, would, I won't say I was uncontrollable, but my mind was so in 2020. I was so far ahead of where I wanted to be. I knew I wanted to play in the National Football League. I'm going to do everything I can to get there. If I don't make it, I'm going to become an FBI agent. Okay. Man, I was like 11 years old with a plan. like Because I, I just felt like I looked at my surroundings and I'm like, okay, hearing gunshots, like, that's not how I want my kids to grow up. No. You know, my mom, we, we was born into this. But somebody got to take responsibility to uplift this thing. And um, I just felt as a, as a young kid, I had a old soul, met Tommy, learned about life, got to college, got with Frank Bramer, and, you know, just could think back to so many people who helped me in my, in my lifetime, man. It's just amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, you mentioned Frank Beamer. You could have gone to Syracuse, but you chose to become a Hokie at Virginia Tech. Somebody sold you on that. Was that was that, <laughs> was that yeah, Raymond? A beamer. It, 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 okay, it was three people, the big three. Uh, my mom, Tommy, and Coach Beamer. And, and my mom and Coach Beamer had this, you know, just this uh, epiphany from one another. Like, they was, like, connected. They, they was joined at the hip. Paul Pascaloni came in. Ralph Frigia came in. She just shared a special connection with Frank. And then uh, Virginia Tech agreed that if I came – to play for that program that they would redshirt me and that they would not put me on the field until they felt like I was mentally capable of playing a game of football. And, and Tommy, you know, God bless his soul, was a, a running back. And, you know, he could only take me so far as a quarterback. You know, he knew the fundamentals. He called plays, but he knew I needed teaching. Yeah. I needed to learn how to play the position. And it took about four months. I almost quit Virginia Tech. I almost left the school. I felt like football was too hard. It was like taking a math test every day. Hmm. And I did never like math. I like English and I like science. Yeah. <laughs> was, you know, I, I, so I didn't like angles and numbers and, you know, calculating, putting things together in my head. And so my coach, Ricky Bustle, continued to encourage me, like, come every day. You're too talented to not want to do this. Come to the meetings every day, don't travel with the team. And I kept coming repeatedly and consistently. And one day I was just looking at the film and it all clicked. I learned defenses. And I was able to piece together the offense and I matured and grew up. And yeah, I, I say this before I stop talking about I, I had an incident with our strength and conditioning coach because you know I wasn't learning in the film room. And you know, I felt like football was hard and they was like college is just way too serious. And I was playing around in the weight room. And one day, our strength and conditioning coach, Mike Gentry, came up to me. And I'm, I thank him so much for this. It was sort of <laughs> brash and rude. And it was very blunt. You know, I didn't know how to take it. He was like, you know, because I'm playing around, distracting everybody. Say, Mike, I'm not sure if you can run the option the right way. I'm not sure if you're going to be able to run the option the right way. And I'm like, what do you think? I'm stupid or something? You think I'm dumb? Why would he say that? I'm joking around. I'm doing, and that right then and there, I matured to show, because I had so much respect for Coach Gentry and, you know, how he 
taught us how to lift weights and build our bodies. And I didn't want him feeling that way about me. And, uh, you know, so this was, you know, sometime in, you know, uh, November of 1998. And then, you know, 1999, I was competing for the position and, you know, won the position, you know, in competition, showed everybody that I can, I learned the offense, matured a lot. And, you know, six months later, after making that comment, he walked up to me and he said, I'm so proud of you, son. And that meant the world to me because from the comment he made, that was just a motivational comment. You know, it wasn't to down me in any way. You know, I don't even think he was trying to be derogatory when he did it. I just felt like that. motivate you. It was just a motivating moment, man, for me. And then for him to just come to me and say, you know, he was real quiet, laid back. Mike, I just want to tell you I'm proud of you. Well, it worked. Your freshman year. Yep. A good grief. 11-0, and 0, going to the national championship game. Yeah, you lose to Florida State. But your mark had been made on the sport. Yeah. Because you yeah. had changed and revolutionized, as I said in my intro, you had revolutionized that position. Yeah. How, how much did your life change after that first year at Virginia Tech? Because at that point, you were pretty much anointed as a, as, as a football right. god in the state of Virginia. I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, you know, this is what I've always wanted to do in my life. And, you know, never thought in year one that I would end up in the national championship and be a Heisman Trophy candidate and, yeah. you know, have – you know, NFL teams talking about me on a consistent basis. I was like, man, this is all a dream. In the same breath, I'm thinking about the next year. Like I say, I always stay ahead in my mind. I'm always thinking ahead. The 2000 season has to be just as good and just as consistent. So I didn't get to enjoy that. You know, I spent that entire spring after the national championship season, you know, working on my game, tightening up my accuracy, tightening up, you know, my footwork and, you know, uh, speed and agility. Uh, I just didn't want to miss a beat coming into that 2000 season and, and, and got off to a night, a hot start and got injured late in the year, didn't, didn't win the Heisman. But after that season, had to make a difficult decision to come out, um, even though I felt like I wasn't ready to leave school. You know, it was just circumstantial uh, in regards to why I left. But, man, what what an amazing two years on the field and three years total at, at Virginia Tech. Yeah, and you, you leave there and you set all kinds of records. Then the moment comes, the, the life cha- another life-changing moment for you, obviously, when you hear your name as the number one pick in the draft. Yeah. Take me back to that. Knowing where you came from and knowing the gratitude you have for your mom and your family and wanting to pay it back to them for, for their tenacity and their love when yeah. you grew up, it must have felt amazing on draft day when you heard your name and the Falcons picked you as the number one pick. Talk me through that. It was just special. It's something that my family, we all talk about to this day, just that experience on draft day. Uh, It was ruined a little bit because when you're the first pick, you know where you're going. I I didn't get the element of surprise like everybody else gets. And and, and that that means a lot. You know, when you're sitting there and you hear your name called and you can, you know, you live in that moment. I couldn't live in that moment because, you know, well, I did get a surprise the night before getting traded to Atlanta after thinking I was going to San Diego for. That's right. Years. We had the switch on the draft picks. So, yeah. We had the draft trade and the Dania ended up going to San Diego, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was an amazing moment for my family. And even so I signed with Atlanta and I fly out, you know, I get my sign bonus instantly. I'm thinking about the next contract and not being a bust. 
Great. I haven't even made it into camp yet. I'm like, okay, longevity lasts with, you know, being consistent, playing good football, um, making it to a third or fourth year, getting a new contract, being a franchise guy, ownership of, you know, the, the fan base in the city and, and productivity. All of these things started to creep in my mind. So I couldn't enjoy the draft. It was more so about, all right, let's get to work. And, uh, you know, I had a five-year plan. I, I just kind of looked at my life in the NFL in increments, you know, four-year increments. Here's where I want to be in four years. Here's where I want to be in eight. And then by year 12, you know, hopefully a championship and would have loved to still have been with the Falcons too. Do you feel like there was a shift as you matured? Because what you just told me there when you started out sounds a little selfish. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm bigger than the team. Yeah. And I'm, you know, your thought process was different than what I hear from you now. Yeah. Is that accurate? Well, I, I mean, everything was about winning. I will say, number one, I knew yeah. winning, you know, really was predicated on me playing good when I'm behind that center. Yeah. And and I, I know, you know, if I'm successful and we win in, everybody is successful. Yeah. Everybody's getting new contracts. Like Algie Crump to tell everybody. <laughs> I'd have heard this story numerous times. <laughs> Crump called him Germ. Germ said, <laughs> everybody. Oh. I'm looking at my basement. Look at my house. This is what Mike built. No, it's not what I okay. built. It's what he built. This yeah. is his hard work. He just he was he was just talented enough to get open, and I was able to find him. But I felt like I had to set personal goals. Okay. But that would lead to the ultimate team goal. Okay. But, you know, because I, I know all right, the chances of winning a championship in the NFL is so hard. I watch guys go through their whole careers like Dan Marino. And John yeah. Elway not winning to the end. Like, man, this league got to be hard. So yeah. I looked at it in increments. Got to get four years in. Consistent. Be good. Yeah. yeah. I got another four. Yeah. But what I started to realize, man, you get them big contracts and you got to earn everything more. Oh, yeah. Every Sunday you got to earn it. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to take the scrutiny and the good with the bad. Yeah. And everything, man. And I just went through an emotional roller coaster dealing with that. Not having the guidance, man. Not having, uh, you know, I wish my dad could have been more involved to help me, you know, answer some of the questions, the tough questions that I, I couldn't always go to Dan Reeves and ask. So I couldn't always go to Jim and ask. You know, my high school coach, he was he didn't have all the answers. You know, it's you know what? You know, my my dad could have been there, but we could have, you know, just Volley information yeah. before, you know. what I wish? I wish I had uh, been more present in your life in 2006. Yeah, well, that's easy to say, more. I mean, I think you just you came into the locker room probably mid-season. You know, yeah, you, I came in the third game, but yeah. I saw some things, some warning signs that I recognized right away with you. Yeah. And I could have – now, I don't know if you would have listened to me. Right, right. That was my problem. It's good of a listener. I got so many compliments growing up, you know, just from my coaching college and Dan Reeves, you know, how great of a listener I was. Like you're a great listener. Like you hear it and you go do it. And I always thought that was a great quality. But sometimes I miss the boat. You start trying to tell me something about life. I'm looking at, Mm -hmm. you know, that I ain't paying attention. Don't go there. Don't go there with you, right? Yeah, like I, I know... Look, I'm rich. I know best. I got this, but don't know how to finance my own home. Yeah. Don't know about interest rates. Don't know about. Yeah. You, you know. Yeah. More, like uh, 
that ain't being a man. That's not being a 24 year old kid. Yeah, you know, and I and and I should have. Okay, so now when I go to Philadelphia, anybody who wants to become a mentor, I feel like I'm soaking them all in. Even my teammates, I'm spending more time with them. Yeah, I love y'all. Let's go hang out at Chickies and Peaks. <laughs> Let's go to the basketball game. Mm-hmm. Now I'm the the consummate teammate. Yeah, but I wish I would have did that in Atlanta, man. I mean, my son and my son, I would play ball. You know, hopefully I give him a chance of being You know, when we're young, there's a couple of words that come to mind for me. Youthful oblivion. In -hmm. other words, when we're so young, we don't know what we don't know. Right. Hell, we don't even know what we know sometimes. Yeah. And then as we mature, the humility and the perspective comes, you know? Yes. And it becomes. And then the sting of regret creeps in because, man, I coulda, I woulda, I shoulda. Yeah. Yeah. But I still get the sense with you, Mike, that you're pretty upfront about the mistakes you made. Yeah. You know, but you also, you're pretty upfront about growing as a human being, I feel like. I, I feel like we're, you're in a good place right now. And I don't, yeah. I don't talk to you a lot, I don't, but I, I respect you. You know, I, I feel like we're, we're teammates. We're always going to be friends. Always. I want you to know you can always reach out to me to and I whatever would. wisdom I have. You know, I don't, you know what I'm saying. No, I love it. I love you back, and I love you back, and um, it's it's uh, it's powerful testimony that you've come a lot, you've come this far, you know. And I, I yeah, it's I just wish I could have done a little more, maybe. Yeah, yeah that's that's the thing so, of regret I have. Well, you know what you can do for me now, what? Continue to pick up the phone if I ever call you and need some advice. If you ever need, yeah, me, yeah. I'm I'm your friend to the end. I love yeah. you as a brother, as a man. Yeah, I was ecstatic when you first walked into that locker room. I'm like, oh. That's more <laughs> Anderson. That's more Anderson. Uh, Mr. Anderson, I believe. The, yeah, Mr. The, the I was calling you Mr. Anderson. See, I have respect for everybody. I, have- I know you have. <laughs> Before I let you go, I got a couple of things. Yeah, let, let me get your opinion on, on the Atlanta Falcons as they sit there today. What do you think about the current situation? How would you grade Arthur Smith's first season? I know you're doing stuff with Fox. and Any more, more years do you think Matt Ryan, Matty Ice has? And Tell me about the the team that you you love so much. Yeah, well, I, I start with Arthur. I think Arthur's doing a great job. I think the culture that he's brought from, you know, Tennessee, I think it's translating. Uh, I think being able to have that relationship with Matt Ryan after Matt has been through maybe three or four head coaches and three or four different systems. Thing is, it's a lot of information that can be shared there. I think we're playing tough, good football. Now, it's a situation where we got to get better each and every week. And I think what we've done best up until this point is learn from our mistakes. I made some mistakes early in the season. Definitely had a chance to to beat Tampa Bay, but made a couple mistakes and lost some games early, but have bounced back. And I think this is a different type of focus now. I think Kyle Pitts has been a big addition. His presence itself opening up for double team, double team, double yes, team. Yes. And, and, and that's Matt and his experience and knowing how to exploit that author being in Tennessee, having one of the most dominant offenses over the last couple of years, and defense is, is, is playing well. We, all, we always play tough. We always play with pride and play tough, but I think it's, it's another level. It's mm-hmm. another level, and it's the perfect time to hit that stride for our team. And, and in regards to Matt, I think Matt is playing consistent. Yeah. Amazing. And right now, looking like he got three, four years left in. Hey, what's your relationship with Arthur Blank now? That was a, you know, that's a, a very distasteful exit, obviously, and well, just, you had to pay back a ton of money. What's your... 
Where are you at? With- I was just with Arthur a couple of weeks ago. We was down in uh, we was playing golf down in Florida, Point okay, Green. Good. Yeah. So and then we said went to a charity event. Don't worry, Arthur's going. He, he's going to find a way to get it back to him. He's not worried. I'm not worried. It was a lot of money, but I'm not worried. I'm with you. What advice do you have right now for Aaron Rodgers up in Green Bay? That that whole thing is just a a train wreck to me. Yeah. What's going on with 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 Aaron and I'm immunized, but I'm not vaccinated and kind of being deceitful a little bit. I felt, you know, as yeah. a leader, as a CEO of a franchise, what do you what do you make of that situation in Green Bay, Mike? Yeah, it's just protocol. Nobody's asking Aaron to do anything that he don't want to do. But right, you're not bigger than the team. You know, you are the focal point of the leader. Yes, there's been some ups and downs and a lot of issues, Aaron. But I mean, just for the, for your own safety. You know, I think it, it would have been smart for Aaron. He's a smart dude, smart man. Sure. To take into consideration, you know, player safety, including his. And, and you know, NFL is an is a, a amazing entity, man, and, and they do everything they can to protect the players and organizations as much as they can. Um, but, you know, this is a situation where Aaron could have done it better. He could have done it different. He could have handled it different from a communication standpoint, for sure. You know, it's, it's difficult. Hopefully they all learn from this, man, and they, they do it right this time around, moving forward. Right. Hey, your old buddy Deshaun Jackson just signed with Las Vegas. Yeah, I've seen that. You know, he, How do you like that fit for your friend? Can he be a dominant player still in the league? Yeah, he, Deshaun got to submit this opportunity right now. You know, enough of bouncing around. He just left home. He was just home in, in, in L.A., and I know yeah. that had to feel good, but now he's, he's on the move. You know, Deshaun is he gotta realize he's a little older now. And you know, it's just gonna be a lot of moving parts in, in, in his career uh moving mm-hmm. forward. So just take it with a grain of salt, enjoy you know the latter years of your career and try to be productive for Las Vegas. What's your relationship with Lamar Jackson and any advice you, you've shared with him? Well, I'm not gonna say me and Lamar talk every day, I talk all the time now. Um, you know, I try to let guys stay in their zone. Um if we need to contact each other, we know how to get to one another and, and we kind of leave it at that. Like this Got is his it. career, and you know, for Lamar, what's important right now is just winning the Super Bowl. I know that's what he wants, and sure. uh, that's what he's focused on doing. So, you know, I might talk to his coaches a little more than I talk to him, but uh, he, he's he's certainly uh, super focused right now. Mike, you're 41, is that right? 41. Yeah, you haven't played a game since 15. Tom Brady's 44. Right. He's won three Super Bowls since you uh, retired. How's yeah. this guy doing it, man? I mean, you know, first of all, he takes his body extremely sick. Like, he take care of his body. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he he understands it's his temple and he's treated that way. You know, man, some people just don't age, man. And Tom's one of those guys. I mean, Tom's is actually one of the dudes. Is, you go look at him when he was 24 and look at him now. It's just, I mean, you know, he looked better. He just looked a lot better. He looks better. Like, yo, from his no. parents, like, yo. Give me some of that. Give me some of that, bro. Give me some of that, man. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. As soon as I turn. No, you're looking frat. You're looking good, Mike. You're looking good. 41, you know. Thank you. You're looking really good. They got a down left in me. Let me finish with a little name game with you. Some guys, you know all these guys. Some of them were talked about. I'll skip over. Okay. But these are the boys. One, one, you know, particular sentence or word comes to mind. Word. Doesn't have to be long. Okay. You know. And we'll finish with that, brother. I appreciate your time. I hope uh, I hope you've had a little fun with me. Definitely. Hey, uh, so you know I got to start with my my Georgia boy Keith Brooken. 
cool. Yeah, he is. He was always sweet. He was always cool. Keep was just the cool, quiet, cool, quiet. Just what's up, man? Yeah, what's up, that dog? Was my dad. That was my dog. <laughs> Brooke, Brooke, D'Angelo Hall. Whoa. Yeah, you just think that's Roddy White? Roddy, fun. Always had a smile on his face. Always had a smile, always laughing. It was easy to make him laugh. Yeah. You know, that's my guy still to this day, for sure. Yeah, he just got into the Ring of Honor not too long ago. He had yep. the Falcons. Yep. Andy Reid? Charismatic. He was a big influence in your life, wasn't he? He was. He's so charismatic, man. He's a great person to be around. He was fun to just talk to on a daily basis. You went to the Jets for a year. You had Rex Ryan as the head coach. What was that like? And what was Rex Ryan like? Confident. Mm-hmm. And then to the Steelers, Mike Tomlin. Intellectual. All right. <laughs> I love playing with Mike T. Every day, while I'm taking football notes, I'm also writing out words that he's spitting out because I'm like, <laughs> I don't know this word. <laughs> His, vocabulary. His vocabulary was extensive. I love this one. Shout out to Mike T. Right on. Antonio Brown. Talented. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Yeah, I agree with that. Brian Finneran. Clutch. You needed seven yards on third down, a little fade ride in the end zone. Who are we going to? That was my guy. Jason Kelsey. Tough. Yeah. Tough dude, man. Work done. What did I say about work, man? Uh Ward, he's a big brother. How do you describe a big brother? Loyal. Loyal. He's a big bro. That's my big brother. He taught you a lot about life. Yeah. Got a feel. Work, work was hard on me. Work was hard on me. Can you share, like, one one thing that he said to you that changed? Well, if I said something crazy or I, if I was doing something like hanging out or something, and Ward told me, he'd tell me straight out, that's stupid. Yeah, yeah, why, why would you do that? Why, you know, Ward wasn't afraid to be honest. Wow. Honest. That's his word, honest. Yeah. That's a good place to stop because you've been honest with me, man. Yeah, no doubt. It's been, uh, it's been yeah. joyful, man. It's been great to hang with you, Mike. I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate it that uh, look 45 minutes, man. Hey, we could have talked another 45. You gave me 30, but I took... I took 45. Yeah, you took 46, actually. We took Well, we took it together. <laughs> yes, man. It was an amazing journey. Thanks for taking me back. Thanks, like Mike. I appreciate you. I love you, and I hope to see you down the road, man. Love you too much. Thank you. All, all the best. That was a great conversation with Mike, and of course, I'll have more on him and my game winner at the end of the podcast. But Free Spot, before we get into this week's Fast Five, what do you have for us? The DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing you the DraftKings Championship Series, the king of competitions. DraftKings Championship Series is the ultimate competition of contest winners from Daily Fantasy, Sportsbook, and Casino. The best of the best in each domain will compete for series supremacy in their own domain's tournament of champions. They'll have one goal in mind, win the ultimate crown, and earn the title of the greatest of all time, the GOAT. Here's how you qualify. In Daily Fantasy, you have to either win a Fantasy World Championship with qualification required, 
or win one of the 89 millionaires, which has a direct buy-in on the sportsbook side. You either have to win a sportsbook championship or win a designated sportsbook pool with a direct buy-in for both. And on the casino side, you have to get on the casino leaderboard with a direct buy-in there as well. Make sure you check out DraftKings.com for more information on dates and locations. The DraftKings Championship Series is the king of competitions. All right, let's get into Morton's Fast Five. This is Morton's Fast Five presented by BetMGM, where we run through the five biggest games of the weekend. We'll give you the Hall of Fame knowledge and you guys place your bets accordingly. Two and three in week 10, Morton. I'll take it after going 0 and 5 in week yeah. 9, though. That's I, progress. I, it's progress. I mean, it's it's slow progress, but it's, it's better than 0 and 5, brother. Exactly. Incremental oh. Small wins equals great <laughs> success. Amen. All right, well, let's start off with Thursday Night Football. My red-hot Patriots are in Atlanta tomorrow night on Fox and NFL Network. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Patriots are up to six-point favorites at the time of this recording. Morton, Coach Belichick has his team peaking as the season moves closer to the postseason. Does that sound familiar? Oh, man, this is typical New England and Belichick football right here. Eh, September, not a big deal. We'll figure it out. Linda's push the gash down in November and December. And that's what's happening. I mean, the Patriots have completely flipped their season the last couple of weeks, four straight beat downs of the Jets, the Chargers, the Panthers, and the Browns. Mac Jones is a rookie, but he's not playing like one, man. He looks pretty good. He's made very few mistakes all season long. The Falcons, <laughs> may I just make the puke sound here? Good grief. I mean, they Bad. got beat down by the Cowboys. Uh, yeah, this is, this is, we've got New England written all over it. I don't care if they have to travel to Atlanta. So Dallas just absolutely dismantled that Atlanta offense or what was left of it. So, hey, good for Dan Quinn, right? This was, uh, you know, payback time for Dan Quinn sitting up there uh, calling the defenses and taking care of business. So, yeah, I like New England this game. I like the line, and I think the Patriots will win and cover. Next up, the Cowboys are at Kansas City Sunday at 425 on Fox. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Chiefs are one-and-a-half-point favorites at the time of this recording. Morton, before this season started, this is a game I would not have circled and the Chiefs would probably have been favored by way more than a yeah. point and a half. Yeah, this is a good game. This this should be a good game. Chiefs are, are they back? I don't know. I still some things about them I don't quite defensively, don't quite trust yet. I like what Dallas is doing. I think this will be a close game. I think it'll be a high scoring game. I like Dallas in this game. I think with C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, they're some of the best receivers in the league. Man, the Cowboys' O-line just loaded, right? They can run the football. Uh, Dak Prescott looks pretty impressive. The Chiefs are at home, but, you know, I like Dallas in a close game. Next up, the Colts are at Buffalo Sunday at 1 o'clock on CBS. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Bills are seven-point favorites at the time of this recording. Martin, the Colts seem to be figuring it out here as the tough schedule starts to get a little easier down the stretch. 
Yeah, they are. And I don't know what the Bills, what they're figuring out. They're, they lost Jacksonville, then they beat down the Jets, which everybody beats down the Jets. They're terrible. So that's not really a good indicator of how well they're playing or what the level is. This would be a good game, too. I, I look forward to watching this. Maybe weather could be a factor, always a factor in Buffalo in late November. So, oh, man, this is, uh, could it be a tie? Could this be another tie? <laughs> I hope I'm, not. I'm taking Buffalo just because they're at home and the, and the Bills Mafia is going to help them. The fans up there, weather could be a little bit of a factor. Indy's a dome team, so I like Buffalo. Next up, the Giants are at Tampa Bay. Monday Night Football on ESPN. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Bucks are 11.5-point favorites at the time of this recording. Tom Brady is 18-8 and eight in his career on Monday Night Football. He clearly enjoys that extra day of rest. And he doesn't lose back-to-back games. Only 14 times in his entire career. And he's played in 310 games. Inconsistent Giants team, right? They just... Uh, uh, nothing special there. So I like Tom Brady. He's been unbelievable home this year. Four home games, 18 touchdowns, only two interceptions. The Bucs are 4-0. Brady likes to play in Raymond James Stadium. What can I say? Giants aren't very, they're not very good. The Bucs are, you know, pretty good. So I like the Bucs. I like for them to take care of it. What's the line? Doesn't really matter. I think they cover. Love it. Last game of this week's Fast Five, your Saints are at Philadelphia Sunday at 1 o'clock on Fox. According to our friends at BetMGM, the Eagles are one and a half point favorites at the time of this recording. Morton, where's your head at with your team right now? I don't know what's going on with this football team. Uh, You know, I'm coming out of retirement. Let's face it. I can make an extra point. (laughs) It's 33 yards. I can make a 29-yard field goal or whatever it was. It was a chip shot. So a chip shot field goal, an extra point, that's the difference in their last game. They win if they just make those two kicks. So I'm itching right now to put on the cleats, you know, strap in the girdle, put a girdle on, keep that <laughs> belly, you know, because you can't walk out there with a big, big stomach hanging over, over your, over your not pants. Not very intimidating. It's not, good, it's not a good look. Janikowski did it for his entire career. I did it. Let's face it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Alvin Kamara, is he going to play? He was missing with a knee injury. It seems like he should be back. If he's back, I'm taking the Saints. If he's not back, I'm taking Philly. So it depends on Kamara. We don't know yet. Uh, You got to make a pick, Morton. All right. I'm going to – I hate to go against my Saints. Sean Payton is not going to lose three games in a row. No way. I'm taking my Saints. There you go. Who dat? Who dat? <laughs> I hope the Saints that. Yeah, I can't see Sean Payton losing three straight games either, no, even no. with everything that's going on with the team right now. We I just gotta think get they'll some... figure it out. Oh, we got to get some good news. Come on. Come on, guys. They deserve it. Yes. All right, now it's time for Morton's Game Winner. Mike Vick was my teammate. My first encounter with him was not that memorable. He called me Mr. Anderson and made me feel old, which I was. Actually, I was ancient in football terms. I was 46 and he was in his 20s. Mike spent a lot of time in his locker with his hoodie pulled up over his head, sleeping. Back in 2006, he did not apply himself fully to his craft. 
By his own admission, he was too damn talented and knew that he could beat you with his legs. He would be wiser in so many ways. Life has a way to teach us all lessons, and Mike's lesson would be everlasting. He became a victim of his choices and his circumstances. Keep your enemies close, but keep your friends closer. Reverse relationship strategy personified straight out of Newport News, Virginia. Mike was clearly head and shoulders above the rest, and his talent allowed him to escape the hood. But the hood followed him, and he obliged. It became his downfall. The choices made cost him not only millions of dollars, but his reputation took a beating, and he was left to take the punishment. He spent real time at Leavenworth Penitentiary. There, the transformation began, based on the harsh reality that when a man is stripped of everything, he goes to the only places he can: faith and family. Michael Dwayne Vick came out of prison. A changed man, for sure. He took the licks, but owned up to his crime, paid everyone back, and made it right, as right as he could. America is a second chance country. It is what makes it so great. We can rise and subsequently fall terribly, and still live to see another day. I find that endearing and unique about our country. Mike Vick deserves the second chance he's given. He's doing good work and paying it forward. He's still so talented and has much to give to the younger generation. I'm proud of the man he's become. His past was full of big moments, and his rebirth is here in spite of terrible mistakes he made. He has shown remorse, and we need to forgive him and move forward, understanding that the human spirit only breathes when forgiveness is offered. There's wisdom to draw. From the uncomfortable and nasty experiences in life, and for Mike, the light looks a lot better than the darkness. We'll see you next time. BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks, and they have a really cool promotion going on right now for new players. Bet ten dollars to win two hundred dollars if your team scores a touchdown, and bet on any NFL money line. If your team scores a touchdown, you'll receive an additional $200 in free bets. Must be 21 or older to play. Legal in Arizona, New Jersey, Indiana, Colorado, Tennessee, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Washington D.C. Full terms and conditions apply. BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks, and it's the official odds maker of Great Dane Nation.